0: He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father, who is in heaven, has shown this to you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now in the first Spider-Man movie in 2002, at least the first like live action one that got made, Peter Parker's uncle is having a conversation with him when he's about to drop him off uh, somewhere in downtown New York, and and it's about a con it's a conversation about how he's changing, and it takes on the awkward dimension that any conversation about a changing adolescent is with them, and that's what you think is going on, because. Peter Peter Parker has not been behaving well in school recently. Seems like he's bullying someone, even though he was the kid that always got bullied and things like that. And things are going on in his life. And then his uncle says to him in this very serious tone, Peter, remember, with great power comes great responsibility. And then we kind of get it, right? Because we realize that I mean, his uncle didn't quite get it, but, but we do, that, that Peter Parker also had Spidey powers, right? And he could have used his Spidey powers for good or for bad, right? He could have been a hero, or like most superheroes, he could have been a villain. And I'm not a comic book file, but I understand that that line was actually uttered in a late 60s comic book uh, in, in the Spider-Man ones, originally written by Stan Lee. Um, so if you know more about that, than I do, I'm sorry, and I probably butchered something there. But I remembered that line uh, when he said it. See, Jesus today is also going to grant power to Peter, Simon Peter, not Peter Parker, right? And in a moment, it, it sounds like that scene almost from Spider-Man when he does it. Jesus first says to the disciples as they're sitting there at Caesarea Philippi, he says, hey, who do people say? who do, pe- who do people say I am? Guys, what, what are people saying? Let's, let's take a straw poll out there, see what's going on. See who people tell you that I am. And right away, we, we realize that overall, the people around don't get it. They don't get who Jesus is. He's just been doing all of these miracles, and they don't get it. They think he's just another prophet. Well, some say, Elijah? Elijah? right some say John the Baptist some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets and it seems like their attitude in general of the people is kind of like, who is this guy who is this guy so he must be a prophet you know just like that and this is when we realize that there is an importance to naming Jesus and there's an importance especially in that culture of names and what they mean right usually a name In biblical terms took on other significance their name gave us clues into their character or who they were we learn you know after Jacob wrestles with God God gives him the name Israel and he says your name means he who wrestles with God it will forever tell a story not just of Israel but then not just of Jacob but also of all of the people of Israel after that so there's an importance of naming. And we feel this need in our culture today, and I think the culture always feels this need to kind of like to rebrand Jesus, right? So right now we have this slick marketing campaign of he gets us going on in the world right now. They ran a Super Bowl commercial and they have ads going on behind the home plate at baseball games and everywhere else going on. And and, and the thought is that we need to rebrand Jesus today because people are saying that Jesus is judgmental or he's irrelevant to everyday life, or he's homophobic, or he's racist, right? Those are the things that people are saying about Jesus today, if we were to float that around. And this question that Jesus asks is an important one. What What are people saying? Who are people saying I am? But people are saying is a roundabout way, usually, of not claiming something ourselves. When someone in church comes up to me and says, hey, you know, people are saying this about someone or something, then I usually know that they're not claiming it for themselves, but usually pretty much they're saying it, right? People are saying, Pastor, they don't like the color of the carpet, you know. They really think that blue was a bad choice. Uh, and, and it means that they don't like blue, right, or something like that. Um, to give an innocuous example, that people in church have never thought about such silly things, right? And so, but, but the question, you know, who, who do others who do people say I am, right? It it gives them a chance to kind of say, well, this is kind of what we're hearing, everything like this. And then Jesus comes at them with this, right? Who do y'all say I am, right? Now, it doesn't say y'all because it's not translated right. It should, okay? Because second person plural is what is used there, right? So when he says, who do you say I am to the disciples, he's really saying, who do y'all say I am, right? If you're from other parts, who do you guys say I am, right? Again, he's talking to disciples there, so it's appropriate for all, right? So, but, But who do y'all say I am, right? And Peter steps up, right? Peter steps up in that place and he answers, both for himself and also kind of on behalf of all of the other disciples because that's kind of how Peter stands in, right? And he says what? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that name, you know, we're kind of used to that language about who Jesus is, but we have to realize that people weren't using that language. People are saying that Jesus is just a prophet. And Peter steps in and he says two things about Jesus identity there. He says, you are the Messiah. That's what Christ is translated. You are the Messiah in Jewish terms. They were looking for the Messiah, the one who would come to save, the one who is going to be king-like and warrior-like and really be a powerful human leader. You are the Messiah. That was one thing to say. Other people had come around claiming to be these messiahs, right? Other people may have said Jesus may be that messiah. That might be correct. But then Peter says this, you are the messiah, the son of the living God. And therein, he says something that is very, very, very important for the future of who Jesus is known to be. Because when he says you're the son of the living God, he's saying you are a unique manifestation of God. You are not just a human being, but you are God in God's very self in who you are. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus right gives this blessing and a charge to Peter, right? He says, first of all, Peter, God revealed this to you. My father has shown you who I am. And, and, and basically we're thinking Peter was not smarter or better than the other disciples, right? We have all these examples of Peter basically being a numbskull like everyone else and like all of us, right? And so Peter didn't somehow have privileged information or, or a privileged position to somehow magically know who Jesus was. Rather, Jesus saying that God has revealed this to you, Peter. And then Jesus says, and Peter, I'll build my church on this rock. Now a lot of things are happening in that short saying. One is this, Peter's nickname was also the rock. Not like do you smell what the rock is cooking for those who get that reference, but 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 he's talking about the boldness, the boldness of Peter in this place and sometimes the stubbornness of Peter that he is called the rock. Cephas, Peter, the rock. What else is interesting, though, is that this is happening in Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was an interesting place geographically and religiously. Geographically, there was a river that flowed out of the underground spring in Caesarea Philippi. And this was seen as an opening to the underworld and to the river Styx in this place. Styx like the band, S-T-Y-X, right? And so, so there was a thought so, so Jesus is saying, you are the rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of the underworld aren't going to be able to get it because Jesus says, my church, my called out community. The first time Jesus ever uses that word for church, he basically says, it's never going to die out it's never going to die out. It's always going to be, which is a really good word for those of us today who get really anxious about what's happening to the church in our country or what's going to happen in our denomination. Or you know, there's not as many people here as there used to be in all of the ways that we can talk about decline in the church. And and Jesus says, hey, listen, the gates of hell aren't going to overcome this thing. And this is my church, Jesus says. Right? He says it's mine. It ain't mine. It ain't yours. He says it's mine. And the gates of hell are not going to overcome it. And also at Caesarea Philippi, it's really interesting because it's not just about its geography and how they were literally on a rock that was over where a spring of water is coming out, thought to be the entrance to the underworld. But that area was famously polytheistic. There were pagan shrines all over Caesarea Philippi in areas that they have dug up. And it's in this place. Not Jerusalem, not the usual region in Galilee, but in Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus' name is confessed and his identity is labeled for the first time. And then Jesus says to Peter basically, hey, and I'm giving you the keys to heaven. Now, oftentimes the symbol of the Pope is the keys. And it's from this very text right here, right? So the the concept of Peter being the first Pope and that being passed along There I go. Um, All of that comes really from and stems from this verse in Matthew. And while that might be true about Peter being the first leader of the church, and while there is plenty of historical grounds for for popes and papal succession, I'm not really going to focus on that today. I don't know if this passage is as much about Peter as the first pope as it is about the power of the leadership that Jesus is granting in this passage because he gives to Peter and subsequently to the disciples there this power, this power of fastening and loosening. He says, anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven or anything you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and anything that you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. And Jesus grants his power to Peter here, but then two chapters later in Matthew 18, he's going to grant it to the whole community of followers who will follow after him. And I sit there wondering, "What, what does that mean? Well, Jesus has been doing this, right? Some of the Mosaic laws, some of the Mosaic laws, Jesus is saying, we have to hold faster and even tighter to. And then there's other ones where Jesus seems to be saying, you don't have to worry about that one. We can loosen that completely and no longer even have to follow them. And Jesus seems to be saying, and when you make these changes together, somehow, somehow they exist in the eternal realm, in the kingdom of heaven. But that's just Peter and the disciples, right? Like that's not about us today in any way. But friends, as people who name Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, which we're about to do in the creed, which is part of what we do every week when we gather together, it's part of us gathering, it's saying that we are the community of the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's the only way we exist together. How we yield this power that Jesus has given us is extremely important because we have it too. So how we work and how we live as Christ's body is vital. Friends, when we take church flippantly, especially this local body of believers here, we are not handling this power responsibly. When we forget that we belong to one another, that we have made commitments to each other, when we forget that we're not living as the church that Jesus invited us to be, And friends, this flies in the face of the individualism of our culture. The individualism that says, I go when I feel like it. If I don't like one thing that someone said, I leave. I give money so that I am served in this place. The way that Jesus is presenting how the church is going to operate is very, very, very different than that. Friends, when we come forward for communion each week, I'm like... Communion means that we are communing with God and we are communing with one another, that there is something happening amongst us. It ain't just snack time for you and Jesus privately, okay? There's a reason why we have one loaf that's common together. It's why I wasn't really wild when we had to go to those individual cups all the time and do that in the midst of COVID or have like a drive-through. Because that kind of inferred, that kind of inferred like like you were in the same kind of service line as like a Big Mac or something, right? And, and that's not what we're talking about, right? You're, you're communing with God and with one another, that somehow you are bound to one another in this community. And, and it's kind of like how we're bound in marriage, like the for better, for worse part, right? To one another, to this community. And friends, I hate to say it, but there, there's, not, there's no VIP seats in church. There, there's none. Like there, we don't have a skybox here right? Where you get like special food. Like, no, we're all getting the same thing here in just a little bit, right? There's not, there's no VIP in the church. No, like all you get is a towel to be a servant leader in this space. And every single one of us gets that towel. Now, we may not feel like we have any power as the church today. We may not think that Jesus' empowering of the first disciples reaches all the way to us today, yet our words and our actions do have power. We are Christ's church. We don't get exemption from that. We can't blame others for the church and how it goes. You see, we want to say in our culture today, especially that gets kind of anti-institutional, that the institution of church is the problem, in the same way that we like to say that government is the problem. But here's the issue. We are the church. That's us. Just like we are democracy. Like we can blame, we can blame the folks in Washington or wherever, right? But to a certain degree, like to some way, we have a power to elect and put those people in, right? We, are, we make up that thing. And so the church dwindles and is sidestepped when her members don't take their power seriously and handle it with responsibility. So let us lead with humility and with love and with service for you have power. And with that great power comes great responsibility. Amen.